You may be seated this morning, and I'm glad that you chose to worship with us today. We're going to see if you guys are ready for this. God is good? And all the time? Do you believe that? And uh, even when life seems difficult, we can say, God is good. I'm I'm thankful that I serve a good God, aren't you? And uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter uh, 32. And uh, if you uh, are on the YouVersion Bible app, you can look on there. Our notes are on there as well. If you want to real quickly, if you're, especially if you're watching or, or if you're uh, following along digitally, maybe you got your YouVersion Bible app, you can uh, feel free to share the Facebook feed this morning. Maybe that will invite someone that forgot to set their clock that they could watch with us today. We are in our ninth week of our series, uh, Exodus, and really, Exodus simply means the way out, or it's where we get our word exit from. And uh, so I want to kind of try to catch you up as quickly as possible uh, on the last few weeks. Maybe this is your first week to be a part of this series. And let me give you a kind of a summary statement this morning that will kind of, you'll see the theme carried out throughout this message. And, and so you may want to write it down. It's not on your bulletin, but here's what it says. When we come to God, we come to him upon the basis of his overwhelming grace. When we come to God, we come to Him upon the basis of His overwhelming grace. So we started this series uh, eight weeks ago. We started all the way in Exodus chapter 1. And if you're familiar with the story, and maybe you're not familiar with the story, but uh, the nation of Israel had been, been in bondage for over 400 years. They cry out to God. God, as we looked at, sees, He cares, He hears and he knows. And so he hears their cry. He goes to Moses out on Mount Sinai, and he reveals himself to Moses through a burning bush. And he asks Moses to go back to Egypt and help deliver his people. And so Moses finally, through some uh, persuasive words through God, uh, decides he's going to obey. He goes back, and uh, God reveals his power to Pharaoh to the nation of Egypt and to the Israelites through those 10 plagues. And the last plague being the plague of the the death of the firstborn son. And as God revealed his power, Pharaoh finally decided, I'm tired of seeing God's power and I'm going to let the people go. He sends the people off on their way and then he decides he doesn't like what he's done because he just sent all of his free labor out. And he goes to chase them down. The Israelites come to the Red Sea, and they're stuck. They look behind them. The Egyptian army is behind them. There's nowhere to go, but they realize again how powerful God is. They realize that God can be trusted, and he parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. The Egyptian army follows. God brings the water on top of them, and all of them die. God is powerful. Then last week, Nathan uh, preached an amazing message on how God reveals his heart and how he really reflects God's heart, but the Ten Commandments reveal our heart towards him. I love this statement he made last week. Grace is not the reward for obedience, but the reason for obedience. You, You see, we don't serve God so we can get grace. We get grace so we can serve God. And and we Let's just say, aren't you thankful for God's amazing grace? Amen. At the close of our service, we're going we're gonna to sing a portion of that song, um, 
that familiar song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved what? A wretch like me. And God revealed that he is gracious when he revealed the law. We also looked at Exodus chapter number 25. In Exodus 25, God decided uh, to tell uh, Moses to build a tabernacle. And remember, God wanted to the people to build a tabernacle because God wanted to dwell with his people. Tabernacle means dwelling place. And so in the desert, in the wilderness, God said, build a temple because I want to dwell among my people. But in the tabernacle, he revealed to them, you can get to God, but you have to get to God on his terms. And every furnishing in the tabernacle points to the person of Jesus Christ. And so even the very first entrance gate into the tabernacle revealed there is only one way to get to God. And that way, later, Jesus would stand before the people and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God except through Jesus Christ. And everything in the tabernacle pointed to that very truth that Jesus would speak. Jesus is the only way to God. And God wants to dwell among us. And that kind of catches us up to Exodus chapter number 32. Uh, Nathan preached on Exodus 20 last week as Moses was on Mount Sinai. The thunder and the lightning and the revelation of God's power was on the mountain. The people were below. God was giving the the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses on the tablets. And Moses was going to carry them down to the people and reveal God's message to the people. And that's where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 32. Look at verse number 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come of him. Let's keep reading. Verse number 2, And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Let's pause for a moment, because in, chapter, in verse number 1, interesting, the people say, Come make us gods that shall go before us. And what a sad statement there. If you've been tracking with us, God was going before them in the day as a, a pillar of a cloud. And at night, a cloud of fire. God was always going before them. When they approached the Red Sea, who, crossed, who, who parted the Red Sea for them? It was God. God went before them. And how quickly they forget. And we made this statement a few weeks ago that when we live a life of fear instead of faith, we forget the faithfulness of God. And this is a perfect picture of that. They were living in fear, thus they were not living in faith, and they forgot the faithfulness of God. And, and I don't want to judge them or point my finger at them too much because the truth is, I do the same thing. When I, let, when I let fear into my life, fear pushes away my faith and I forget God's faithfulness. And what do they say in verse number two? Aaron, get all the gold and bring it together. Do we remember where they got this gold from? Remember, this was a gift, a gift, in quotes, from the Egyptians. God had showed his power so much to the Egyptian army that the nation of Israel plundered the nation of Egypt without raising their swords. 
It was as if they conquered the nation of Egypt, and Egypt gave them all of their gold. Think about that for a moment as we read the next two verses. This gold that they are now going to use was a blessing from God. And let's see how they use God's blessing. Verse number three, so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a golden calf. This is a really sad verse. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. When we live in fear instead of faith, we forget the faithfulness of God. Verse 5, so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, of, uh, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What a sad statement of the nation of Israel. They're living in fear. Thus they lack faith. The very blessings of God they begin to worship. You see, they began to worship the blessings of God instead of the God of the blessings. And I'm afraid that in our culture today, we are not much different. Amen. You, you hear what I said there? They, they began to worship the blessings of God instead of the God of the blessings. And they make this golden image. It blows my mind that that Moses is up on the mountain. They see the power of God revealed on the mountain. And, and we're not sure how long. It wasn't like this a super expen, extended period of time. But Moses is on uh, the mountain. And they're like, I don't know how long this guy Moses or where he's going or if he's coming back. And they go to Aaron in fear. They ask him, what are we going to do? And, and Aaron, this is Moses' brother who's been side by side with Moses the entire time. He's seen the miracles of God. He's seen the power of God and how quickly he begins to worship the blessings of God instead the God of the blessings. Let's keep reading. Verse number seven. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down from your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. I love that statement. This reminds me if if you're married and you have kids, you've had this conversation before. How quickly... Uh, the kids become my kids when they're being bad. You guys ever had that? When they're good, so all of a sudden they're not your kids anymore. And that may be true in my house. But verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Did God, did God bring them out of the land of Egypt or did Moses? And God says, Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten calf and worshiped and sacrificed to it and said, this is, our, is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Let's pause for a moment. We'll, we'll kind of come back to this in a little bit, but I just want to point out here the God that we serve, the God that we're reading about, just point this out real quickly. You, you cannot hide your sin from him. Amen. And I think sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking, since nobody else knows, God doesn't know. Moses didn't know what was going on. Moses is in the presence of God, and everything seemed great. Meanwhile, 
back at the ranch, they're making a golden image. And although Moses didn't know, God did. Let's pause just for a moment this morning. Maybe it's a warning for you this morning. There's things in your life that are not pleasing to God. And maybe nobody else knows about it. And what everyone sees on the outside, it looks great and healthy and God-honoring. But you know in your heart there's sin in the camp. Let's keep reading. Verse number 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. He doesn't even call them Moses' people anymore. It's just this people. Indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. You see, God said your people who you brought out of Egypt, this was a part of a test. And then he goes on to say, so uh, God has this let's make a deal moment with Moses. Moses, these people are are stiff-necked is the word he used there. These stiff-necked people who've already so quickly turned away from worshiping me to worshiping this false idol, which they learned from the nation of Egypt. Here, here let's do this, Moses. Let me, let me wipe all of these people out. Let me judge them. And let's be, let's be really honest this morning. God would have been justified in judging them. Because God is a holy, righteous God, and, and God punishes sin. And we've said this over and over. Sin always leads to death and destruction. The proper response to sin is death. Amen. God would have been justified in wiping the people out. And he said to Moses, I'll start over with you. You and I can make a great nation. And what is Moses going to respond how would you respond? I'm going to be really honest for a moment. I wonder if Moses had known that all the time, how many times the nation of Israel, we've already, seen, we've already read this, right? They were complaining and they were griping. Oh, if we could just go back to Egypt. It was like the food buffet in Egypt and we, want, we loved it. Everything's great. The wilderness is terrible. Moses, you're a bad leader. And I, and I wonder if Moses had second thoughts later, like, I wish I would have taken God up on that offer. We could have wiped these people out and started over. But then he would have had no one to blame but himself. So maybe that's why he chose not to. But how is Moses going to respond? Verse 11, Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against? Moses doesn't say my people. He says your people. You have brought out of the land of Egypt. This is the first part of the test that, that Moses passes. Were they God's people? Yes. Did God bring them out of Egypt? Yes. And the easiest thing for us to do, especially as leaders, is to feel like we have done it. When everything, I love 1 Chronicles 29, 11. I know I quote it all the time, but maybe you should have it memorized by now. And it says this, I adore you, Lord, as being in control of all things. Riches and honor come from you alone, and it is by your hand that men are made great and given power. Everything I have, God gave to me. That's why it's so easy for me to want to, as we receive the offering, to give back. Because it's not mine anyways. Amen. And Moses acknowledges it's not by his power, not by his might, that these people were delivered. It was by the power and hand 
of God. They're his people. So he cries out, you have brought out the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them, and the mountains to go and consume them to face from the face of the earth? Turn from your face or your fierce wrath and relent this harm to your people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. On, on your bulletin this morning, there's four things that Moses says he prays. And so, again, the people are fearful. They turn to false gods. Uh, Moses stands in the gap for God. As God is saying, I'm going to judge the people, Moses cries out, don't, don't destroy them, don't destroy them. And in his prayer, in this prayer to God, there's four appeals that he, that he makes. Let, and let's just look at them quickly this morning. The first one is to God's fatherly affection. Remember, God had chosen Abraham, and he told Abraham, I will adopt you, I will make a great nation of you, I will become your God, and you will be my people. And Moses is simply saying, God, as their father, as their creator, you don't want to do this. You don't want to destroy them. He appeals to the fatherly affection that God has toward us. I'm thankful that, that we serve a God who Jesus said we can call our father. Amen. One of the greatest pictures of salvation in Ephesians chapter 2 where or Paul says, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. What a great picture that God has chosen us to be a part of his family. And Moses says, God, you're the father. You don't want to do this. The second reason he gives him, or the second appeal he makes is in verse 12. God, your name is known all over Egypt. You've demonstrated your power and your might and your before you. God, what, what, would, what would these Gentile people say about the good God if you delivered them and then destroyed them? On behalf of how good you are, God, and, and your name and your righteous, all-powerful name, God, don't do this. And then the third thing, he, both in verse 11 and 12, he appeals to God's mercy and his compassion. And I stand before you this morning to say, I'm very thankful that God is a compassionate God. I'm thankful that the God we come to, we come to because he's merciful. He's compassionate and he's gracious. His mercy is everlasting. Great is his faithfulness. And Moses comes to God and says, God, you're full of righteous, but you're full of mercy. You're full of compassion. God, don't destroy your people. And he appeals to God because of his mercy. I think the greatest appeal, though, is in verse number 13. He appeals to God on, on the fact of his promise or his everlasting covenant. 
In verse 13, he says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your, your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So God hears the appeal and the prayer of Moses. And what's God's response going to be? Look at verse number 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses stands in the gap between God and his people, and he stands on behalf of the people to God, and he, he cries out, he intercedes for them. And remember, as we said, Moses is a, a picture of Jesus, and Jesus intercedes for us just as Moses interceded for the people. And Moses says, you don't want to do this, and God, God showed them grace. God would have been justified in destroying them, but God shows grace. As the title of the outline there on your bulletin says, it's a mountain of grace, that the, the grace of God came down from the mountain to the people. And I just want to point out four points of application as we walk through this this morning. So if you have your bulletin, here's, here's a few blanks that you can fill in. Really based on this prayer and this story, number one, Sin is serious regardless of what we say or think about it. Sin is serious regardless of what we say or think about it. I already paused for a moment to say maybe there's sin in your life. And I already stated this, but sin always leads to death and destruction. And just as the people of Israel needed grace, the truth is this morning, I also need grace. The truth is this morning, you also need grace. Amen. Paul said, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God lest anyone should boast. And why is it I need grace? Why is it you need grace? We understand why the people of Israel needed grace. Because they sinned and they, they began to quickly worship the blessings of God instead of the God of the blessings. And, and they needed the grace or God was going to judge them. But understand what Paul said in Romans. He said, the wages of sin is is death. Always since the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve perfect in innocence in the garden, they, they freely chose to sin, and because of their sin, their sin was passed to me. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. And that's what Paul wrote, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages, the punishment of my sin is that I deserve death. The wages of your sin is that you deserve death. But the rest of that verse says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And as Moses stood in the gap for the people, Jesus also stands in the gap for us. But sin is serious. We just sang that verse, uh, that song, one of my favorite songs uh, this morning, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Did you catch the, I think it might be, the, I don't know, the second or third verse where it says, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice. What that verse is saying is that if I really understand the cross, and if I really understand the price that was paid, if I really understand what Jesus did on the cross, I have to understand that it was, it was my sin that placed him there. 
And you read in the scriptures where the, the, the men mocked him. And what that verse in that song is saying is, those voices were mine. That it was as if I was in the crowd saying, we want Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. Sin is serious. For many of us who've placed our faith in Jesus and we receive the gift of grace and we receive salvation, I think too often we don't take sin serious enough. Let let me read two statements for you. John Stott says this, Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. And there's two sides of that coin there. Of course, the one is, I would say, described before I got saved, that I have to realize that the reason I need salvation, the reason I need grace, the reason I need Jesus is because I'm a sinner. But after I'm saved, then I also look at the understanding of that is say, that if I continue in sin, then I am saying to Jesus, the price that you paid has no value to me. Again, it goes back to what Nathan said. We don't obey so we can get grace. We obey because we've received grace. And so if I'm living in sin, I'm not really appreciating the grace that I've been given. I'm not really appreciating the price that was paid. Let me say it another way. Ray Pritchard said it this way, until we see the depth of our sin... We will never appreciate the great sacrifice our Lord made when he died on the cross. So again, I'm going to ask you this morning, as I already did, David prayed this prayer, Lord, reveal any wickedness in my heart. And maybe this morning, through the reading of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is saying to you right now, you know what you need to confess. You know what you need to do. You know you need to tell someone. You know you're living in sin, and and God sent his son to die for that sin. And you need to confess it. The second one this morning on your outline, sin is serious, but number two, prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things, doesn't it? Prayer is powerful. I love the rest of that outline. It says prayer is powerful when we pray in accordance to God's will. 1 John 5.14 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Moses simply prayed back to God. Remember what he said? Remember, God, the promise you made to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. And and you made the promise that you were going to make an everlasting covenant with them, that you were going to make a great nation out of them. And so, God, you can't destroy them. One of the greatest things you can do in your prayer life is to pray back Scripture to God. And you can't pray back Scripture to God if you don't know Scripture. That's another great reason to be in your Bible and to study. And we pray in accordance with to God's will. So let's just illustrate this for a moment. God has commanded us to make disciples. 
right? You see it here. Disciples making disciples. He's commanded us to tell people about Jesus and to make disciples. Let's just think hypothetically for a moment that you really wanted to make a disciple, that you really wanted to be a witness, that you really wanted to share the gospel with someone, and you prayed, God, would you give me a chance to make a disciple? Would you give me a chance to share the gospel? Is that praying in accordance to God's will? Yes, everybody shake your head. God has commanded you to make disciples. Let's just think if you actually prayed, God, I want to make a disciple. I want to be a part of seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ. I want to share the gospel with someone. If we prayed that prayer, do you think God's going to answer that prayer? Do you think he's going to have to think about it? The only thing he may think about is, do you mean it? Do you really mean it? Praying in accordance to God's will is powerful. Number three, the Lord tests us to draw out of us that which he has put in us. So Moses had spent 40 years in the wilderness preparing for this moment. See, God tests us to teach us and to train us. And God was testing his character. God said, it's your people who you brought out of Egypt. First test. Moses could have Uh, all of us deal a little bit with pride. You realize that? Pride is always the underlying sin. And we all deal with pride. And so God is testing Moses. Is it your people who you brought out of Egypt? Moses passed the first test. God, it's your people who you brought out. You're you're God. I'm I'm just a vessel. I'm just someone being used. The next test, God says, I'm going to destroy these people. And, and, and Moses, it'll be just me and you, and we'll start over, and everything's going to be great. But God knew, Moses, excuse me, knew God's character. And he knew God's promise. God, on behalf of your good name, on behalf of your character, on behalf of your love for these people, you can't do this. It's my belief that God never intended to do what he said he was going to do. He was testing Moses. Listen to this statement. I love the way, the, the way this was, uh, was put. If I can find it here. Moses' prayer was powerful because he prayed in accordance to God's will. Moses had been shepherd of the sheep for 40 years prior to coming back to Egypt. Now God was going to use him to shepherd his people. And all the traits that he had to build into Moses in the field are being drawn out and refined to prepare him to shepherd that which was much more valuable than the sheep. And I'm sure the people were glad Moses passed the test. Are you going through a test right now? We asked this a few weeks ago, and there was a lot of us going through a test. Remember, God tests us to train us, and to teach us. Number four, this is my favorite one. God is merciful towards messed up and broken people. God is merciful towards messed up and broken people. See, the Bible is very clear that we don't have to clean ourselves up to get to God. We don't have to 
be perfect to get to God. In fact, we have to admit we're not perfect in order to get to God. I love this verse, Psalms uh, 106.23. This is in reference to a a different situation. Uh, Often in uh, the life of Moses leading the people of Israel, he went and, and stood in the gap between God and the people. And he had oftentimes to have this similar prayer that he had here in Exodus chapter 32. God, I know they messed up. Don't destroy them. Remember, you're good. You have a promise. In another instance, the, the psalmist is writing about that in Psalms chapter 106, 23. And this is what that one verse says. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. See, on, on Mount Sinai, Moses stood in the gap between God and the people, and the grace came down. But remember, Moses is always a picture of, of Jesus. And years later, Jesus also would be on a mountain, and he would stand in the gap between God's wrath and judgment and his people. And because Jesus was willing to stand in the gap, grace came to us. You see, Jesus died on the cross. Moses was a prayer, and he stood between God and the people, and grace came down. Jesus went a step farther than Moses. He gave his life so that grace could be to all people. You see, that's what Peter said about Christ. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this morning, as we look at the life of Moses, and he stood in the gap for the people, and grace came down, let's not forget the greater picture of that, Jesus. As he hung on the cross, my sin and your sin was placed on him. And because Jesus willingly laid his life down and became the perfect sacrifice, what do we continue to say in this series? Sin always leads to death and destruction. Sin cannot go unpunished. And my punishment for my sin was placed on Jesus on the cross. This morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, let me encourage you to do that today. He came and he died in your place so that you can have a home in heaven, so that you can have forgiveness of sins, so that you can have eternal life, so that you can receive grace. And if you've never done that, in a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing, as I already mentioned, that song, Amazing Grace. And and if you want to receive God's grace and you're not sure how to do that, then I've got great news for you. Because in a moment we're going to stand. There's going to be several of us standing right down here. We're going to be facing you. If you would like to receive God's grace today, what I would encourage you to do is walk down here this morning and say, just shake one of our hands. I want to see God's grace. If that kind of scares you to walk forward, let me encourage you, don't be scared. We're going to celebrate with you. But if it just, you know, feels like it's too hard for you to do, there is a card right there in front of you. Fill that card out and just say, I'd like to know about how to receive Christ. And we would love to show you. We would love to share it with you. We started out with this statement. 
When we come to God, we come to him upon the basis of his overwhelming grace. There's four words I want us to think about before we leave this morning. They correspond with the four points of application. Sin is serious, so confess. If you're a follower of Christ already and you're, you're living in sin, if God's revealed something to you, confess. If we confess, he's faithful to forgive Amen. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. Prayer is powerful. Pray. We don't spend near enough time in prayer, do we? Prayer is powerful. Pray. Testing is training. So trust. If you're going through a test right now, trust. Trust God. The last one, God is good, so believe. Believe it. When you're going through a test or a trial, trust him and believe that he is good. We close your eyes for a moment this morning. I'm going to ask our praise team to prepare. As, as I've mentioned, we're going to close our service out with another song of worship. It's also an opportunity for you to respond this morning. It's an opportunity for you to respond to what God has revealed to you through his word. And maybe this morning it's the sin I need to confess. Maybe it's I'm in a test I need to trust. Maybe it's that, that I don't spend enough time in prayer. And I, I just need to make a commitment today. God, I'm going to spend more time in prayer. Maybe it's the last one. God, I, it doesn't seem like you're good right now. But as Moses went back to the promises of God, today maybe you need to go back to the promises of God and just, just believe God is good and God is in control. So in the next few minutes as we worship, what I want to encourage you to do, if you would like, to, if you would like someone to pray with you, we're going to be here at the front. You're welcome to come and shake your hand and say, would you pray with me about this? Or maybe this morning you want to give your life to Christ. You want to experience the amazing grace of God in your life this morning. Again, I would say, just come and shake one of our hands. We would love to share with you. If you want to just stay at your seat and worship the God of grace. We're going to stand in a moment, but, but if, you, if you're more comfortable to sit and worship and pray right where you're at, this is time for you and, and God. God, we come before you today, and Lord, we are humbled that you would send your son to die in our place. We're thankful for the example of Moses, Lord, that, that we can come to you and, and we can pray in accordance to your will, and God, that we understand prayer is powerful. Lord, this morning, if there's those in here that are dealing with sin and Lord they need to confess God through the power of your spirit would you convict them God for those who are going through testing may they trust and believe that you are in control that you are good would you stand with me this morning again it's a time of worship if you want to pray where you're at, if you want to come forward and pray, if you'd like someone to pray with you, but let's worship together this morning.